commercials. I don't really like to watch commercials. I surf usually through commercials. You know what that is? You get the remote. Most guys know what I'm talking about. And I go to another channel. But uh, there was a commercial that they kind of grabbed my attention. It's a commercial that was advertising the Alexis, I think it's the MLX. Have you seen it? It's a, it's a strategic commercial design, in my opinion, to oversell and to overpromise the product that they're presenting to us on the television. And that is a dangerous thing when it comes to advertising. You never want to overcommit, overpromise something to your customers, potential customers, because if it doesn't deliver, then there's going to be a huge disappointment. For example, here's a guy who's in his bed when the commercial starts out, and the narrative, someone speaking, said, here's this guy, he's lying in his luxury bed. He gets out of his luxury sheets. He gets inside of his luxury shower. He uses the luxury soap. Then he gets out and he dries off with his luxury towel. Then he goes to his closet and he puts on a luxury suit. He then puts on a luxury watch. He goes to his luxury kitchen. He takes a latte from his luxury coffee machine. He leaves out of his luxury house and inside of his luxury car. And while he's sitting in his luxury car, there's a word that comes over and the the person giving their narrative says, which always makes everything seem ordinary. I mean, they're, they're selling this car, this product, suggesting that this man sitting in the car who has all of this luxury When he sits in this car, this luxurious car is going to make everything else in his life ordinary. That is a a bold promise, isn't it? Now, to those who have everything and who really know luxury, and that's not any of us in this room, know that an Alexis MLS is not that luxurious. A Bentley maybe or a Lamborghini maybe, but Alexis MLS. So the target audience are people just like us who want to lavish ourselves in this luxurious automobile that promises that once we sit in it, everything else we own in life is extremely ordinary. Now, is there a car that can live up to those expectations? No, absolutely not. But, but the audacity they have to promote this product Promising this luxurious lifestyle, this feeling, is not, is, is not something I believe that as they market is going to really provide that. Now, that is a dangerous thing. Now, let's sort of step over here now and let's talk about now what our product is as a church. What is our product? What is our product? A disciple. Disciples are our products. Jesus commanded us, go and make disciples, right, of all nations. So the product that we have as a church, what we are seeking to produce, what we are seeking and and trying to attain is, is this whole concept of discipleship. And disciple is simply someone who's committed their life to Christ and who are committed to following Christ. Our product is discipleship. Now, if our product is a disciple, let me ask you, how do you market the product discipleship. How do you market a disciple as a product? You know, there are churches that market discipleship promising a lot of things. 
And the sad reality is that the reason why they never live up to those promises and those expectations is because they're overselling the product. Come follow Jesus, and this is what you'll receive. Now, the reason why I think those churches and why those marketing campaigns are seeking to do is they are seeking to capitalize on what we might call a society that is over-obsessed with pleasure. We live in a hedonistic culture today. Hedonism is simply the, the passionate pursuit. It is a passionate pursuit of self-gratification seeking pleasure. We have, we have a culture today that is, that is so pleasure-seeking that that is everything that they are seeking to do in fulfilling their lives. And if they can attain the pleasures that they desire, they think that they have been then self-gratified. That has spilled over into the church. And I think it's probably one of the main reasons why this health, wealth, prosperity gospel is succeeding in America today because we are in the most hedonistic cultures that America has ever enjoyed, ever in the history since we've been founded. And it plays over into the selling aspect of seek pleasure. And churches are, are seeking to do this marketing campaign based upon what we can do for you. I don't believe that's true. I was in a conference just last week where I was asked to sit in a round table with a very respective pastor in our convention who was trying to help us understand the difference between being attractional and being missional. You follow me? Attractional or missional? What kind of church are you going to be? His preface was that unless we become today, the modern church, attractional, Versus missional, we will not be able to attract the masses. And so he was trying to educate those of us in the room under this roundtable discussion, the, the concept of attractional versus missional, and trying to sell me on that. And what he said kind of astounded me. One of the statements he said, the cross is attractional. He said the cross is attractional. And they began discussing in this round table this, this concept that the cross is attractional. Therefore, we must be attractional people. And I let the conversation go on. But you know me that I was trying to sort of keep a low profile and fly under the radar. But I couldn't contain myself any longer. I said, I hate to disagree with you, Claude. And I hate to disagree with some of the guys around here because I respect them. But, but I don't find the cross attractional. I said, now, if there's anybody in this room, and we were meeting in Hutch, if there's anybody in this room, and all the pastors are from Kansas, if there's anybody in this room who knows about the cross, it's me. I'm at Emmanuel Baptist Church. We have the largest cross in Kansas. Right? I don't know of anybody except the guy down in Oklahoma, down 35 on the left-hand side of you going south, has a cross similar to ours. But I guarantee you, if we were to put a measuring stick to it, our cross is probably bigger than their cross. You can see it from China. <laughs> and they all laughed like you're doing. And I said, I don't find the cross attractional at all. The, the cross is offensive to the unbelieving world. It is offensive. It is hostile. It goes against the grain. Now, if a disciple is someone who's following in the footsteps of Christ... And following the footsteps of Christ, Jesus said that we must take up our cross and follow him. He said in following him, the road that we, we, do, we use in following him actually leads to where? It lay, leads to death. 
denial. That's where it leads. So how do you market that? Come follow Jesus and die. How attractional is that? You see, the modern-day church today has made the church so attractive that it has lost the impact of a, of a disciple following the footsteps of Christ. Take up your cross and die to yourself and follow Jesus. That is the life that Christ lived, and that is the life that Christ has called us to live as we seek to follow him. It is a life in which you and I are living beyond ourselves. But we have a modern church today that they're in it for themselves. Because we have a culture today that is in it for themselves. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about death. It's not about denial. It's not about the cross. Where are the saints of old who were willing to die to themselves and take the gospel to a foreign land and live in, in mud huts with, with no floors and sleep in, 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 in hammocks with, with no running water? And we have, we have taken this hedonistic culture and we have translated over into the disciple, the follower of Jesus. And, I, and I'm here to say that that is not what Jesus said is a disciple. And that's not the life I think that, that, that we have the Apostle Paul speaking then into the life of Timothy. Here we have Paul, a veteran missionary who's a champion of the faith, a church planner extraordinaire who's lived out this incredible life as a, as a senior adult man writing to a young man named Timothy. And young Timothy, we find in this passage in 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16, is, is finding himself a little bit being disrespected by the other leaders and the other members of the body, but I think even more than that, a little bit disrespected by the community that he's called to minister in because, you see, Timothy is a little bit, he's not quite confident, he's... he's being intimidated for some reason. We're not told exactly why. There's a lot of speculation. But the passage itself doesn't really reveal as to the reason why Timothy is feeling this, this intimidation factor, this disrespect factor. And he's saying, Timothy, I want you to live beyond yourself. Stop worrying about yourself. Stop looking at yourself. Stop worrying about what you're going to gain or lose. Quit worrying about being popular. Quit worrying about, about what the future holds. Don't, don't worry about yourself. Live beyond yourself. And when we get to the point and the place in our lives where we live beyond ourselves and we live for Christ and for others, there's nothing that should ever intimidate us at all. No matter what it may cost to follow Christ, it's inconsequential. It should not matter. Why? Because we're not living for what it, it, it can profit me or how it can benefit me or my luxury or my pleasure. It's only what pleases him that really matters. And he's challenging young Timothy to live beyond himself. We have here today a group of people that I believe who who need this message in that as we seek to live out and to follow the, the example of Christ, to also live beyond ourselves, not to be the central focus of every aspect, not only of the community of faith, but also in the greater focus of carrying the gospel to the world. So let's take a look at the passage, and I want us to sort of quickly examine how we can live beyond ourselves, how to live beyond myself. How can I do that? We're going to skip that. Go to the next slide, WR, if you would. Let's just go quick to the outline. 
How do we do that? Number one, living beyond myself means I must be concerned about others. I must be concerned about others. Notice what the text says in verse 12. It says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. The word despise is an interesting word. It means disrespect. It means disregard. And and the Apostle Paul in this text is is reminding young Timothy that that he, he shares a place of respect among those who are in leadership. But there are some, for whatever reason, who are disrespecting him. And he's saying to young Timothy, young Timothy, I want you to assert yourself. Assert yourself. Stop allowing yourself to be intimidated by others. Assert yourself into the position of leadership that God has endowed you, that God has entrusted to you. Become the leader that God has appointed you to become. Not only the leadership in carrying out and proclaiming the gospel, not only in leadership in ministering to the church, but I think in leadership in the church within itself. He says, rise up. And for the the young adults and the young graduates, the challenge is that God needs young leaders today to step up to the plate. And not to allow the older leadership to intimidate you to think that because you're physically young or spiritually immature, according to their standard and their measurement that you can't step up and you can't lead. And I think we need more people who are stepping up to this concept of leading out in service and in the proclamation of the gospel, not to allow not only the community of faith, but the world that we live in intimidate us to the point where we are not asserting ourselves as God would have us. And the reason why we must assert ourselves without any regard to what it may cost us is because of a concern that we have in the testimony that he's given us for others. Because if we do not assert ourselves, what's at stake? Not only our testimony, but our ministry to the body and the lives of those who have yet to come to faith in Christ. So he's saying to Timothy, don't be so concerned about yourself, but be concerned about others. And the motivation for the reason why we serve and we share our faith and we minister to the body and we lead out is because we are concerned for the lives of others more than we are concerned about ourselves. And I think that's what he's saying to Timothy. Don't allow this concern for yourself intimidate you, but be assertive in the fact that you so care about others that it doesn't matter what they say to you or do toward you. This is in the process of happening right now to him. It's going on. And he's saying, Timothy, rise above that and assert yourself and be concerned about those that God wants to impact and influence through you. There are people that God wants to reach through you and disciple through you and minister through you, and you're not being used by him to that capacity because you're being pressed down. So assert yourself. Be concerned about how this is impacting those around you. And that's a good word for us today. Because if we're going to live beyond ourselves, we've got to be concerned for the witness and the influence and impact that we have with others. Secondly, we need to be consecrated in our walk. Notice in the second part of verse 12, it said an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and finally, in purity. There's a dedication here to God, a a commitment to live consecrated to him. And that consecration is neatly packaged for us in the words, an example, to be a model by which others can emulate, to be a pattern that others can follow, be an example, be a model, be a pattern that others can follow, that others can emulate. First of all, in speech, this word speech means everyday conversation. We will not be the model, the example that others can emulate and follow if our everyday speech isn't glorifying and edifying to the Father. 
if for whatever reason we have a loose lips and loose tongues and we just say whatever we feel or think and, and destroy lives around us or say things that are inappropriate, we will lose the, the, the right not only to lead but to influence others in the world that we live in. Whether it's gossip or whether it's slander or whether it's cursing, it doesn't matter. Our, 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 uh, just read James, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks on how we can manage conflict because conflict is inevitable with people. Did you know that? Uh, you can't avoid it. I don't care where you run, where you hide, or who you avoid, you're always going to deal with conflict. And, and James has a lot to say about how to manage conflict, especially in relationship to the tongue. And the tongue, while it is hard to control, can be tamed. So in everyday conversation, he said, be an example on his speech, but in conduct, this is the manner by which we live our lives. This is the lifestyle that we live, a lifestyle that's not only in private, but a lifestyle that is in public because many of us think that, that our public example is the only example that really matters and we can do whatever we want to in the dark, in the corner, behind the desk, with the door closed. But that's not true because even what we do in public eventually becomes known to the private, becomes known to the public every time. It blows my mind to think that people can have relationships with someone other than their wives in private and no one will know about it, but eventually that affair becomes known. Why? Because even though they think what they're doing in private, they get lax, they drop their guard, before they know it, it becomes public. So he's saying in public and in private, guard your lifestyle. So be an example in speech, be an example in conduct, be an example in love. The word love here is the word charity. It is the word that we get from, from the love that is described that God has toward us. What kind of love is that? It's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is a love that loves unconditionally, but it's a love that loves sacrificially. So as we, as we step up, as we assert ourselves, as we, as we follow Christ and seek to allow him to influence us, we must make sure that our primary motivation is done out of love and that we're doing it because we love, but we do it sacrificially, meaning that we die to our needs and we put someone else's needs first. So when you are asserting yourself and, and carrying the gospel of Christ and ministering to the body of Christ and leading out, if it's done in love... That's the best motive, isn't it? He said, be an example in conduct and love, but he says in faith. The word faith here is a word that describes faith in God. Faith in the power and the ability of God through him. It's faith in what God can do, not in what he can do. And he's charging young Timothy, he's charging us that as we assert ourselves in a world that is pressing us down, that is, is giving us, uh, uh, not giving us the respect that God wants us to have in a world that we live in today. He's saying we must do so as we step out and assert ourselves in faith, trusting and believing in God. Not in ourselves, not in our strategies, not in our, our best efforts, but in God and in God alone. And finally, he used the word purity, which means purity of motives. It means purity in character. It's a moral character fiber within us that is seeking to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. You can't assert yourself as an example, as a model, not only to the community of faith, but to our children and our grandchildren, our great-grands, and even the community out there at large, if we, as he is saying, are not holy people. That means unstained and unpolluted by the world. We must guard those things of the world as we rub elbows with them every day, not to allow their stuff to infect our lives. 
and therefore cause us to lose this consecration that we have in committing ourselves to be pure, to be righteous, and to be holy. And I think if there ever was a message for the church today, it's a message of righteousness and holiness and purity. To consecrate ourselves in this walk. That's what he's saying to Timothy and us as we assert ourselves. But thirdly, he's saying also that we must connect to the word. You see, none of this is possible unless we commit and connect faithfully to the word of God. He says, until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy says, until I come. The the phrasing here in the English doesn't quite convey the thought that Paul is, is sending to Timothy. It's not until I come. Paul is saying to young Timothy, I am on the way. I'm already in the process of moving in your direction. I will be there shortly. And when I come, he's saying, he's suggesting that I am going to hold you accountable for the life that you are living. Imagine young Timothy, inexperienced, timid in the faith, having these pressures beaten down on him, causing him to lose a little bit of his influence, not asserting himself as he needs to in the flock that God has given him and the community that he's to minister to. He's not really being that confident pastor that he's supposed to be young in the ministry. And Paul is saying, hey, you're going to be accountable to me when I arrive, and you and I are going to have a one-on-one conversation. We're going to look eye-to-eye and sit down across from each other, and I'm going to say, how you living? How you serving? What have you done with the gospel? You know, the sad reality is every one of us in here, while we may not like, we may not like accountability, we need to be held accountable. Because the reality is we're not on our own trustworthy enough. I don't care who you think you are or what you think you can do. You're not trustworthy to evaluate your own life rightly. I mean, the reality is that, that most of us are harder on others than we are on ourselves. Now, I know there are some of us in this room who probably say, well, that's not me. But you're a rare bird. Because the reality is that most of us like to make excuses for why we are the way we are and why we do the things we do and why we want the things we want and we justify the past or maybe the present or some catastrophic thing and this is the reason why and so therefore God, you know, because I'm one of his favorites and, you know, I'm not really going to be holding myself up to the standard that God's going to hold others and God somehow wants to give me a little more slack than he does to you. But the reality is we all need somebody to hold us accountable. I have people in my life that holds me accountable. Some of you would like to be that person. And they have a right to speak into my life. Every pastor, every deacon, every life group leader, everyone must have someone that, that we've given them permission to speak into our lives and to challenge us and exhort us and to drive us to examine our motives and to, to examine our, our, our lives to make sure that we're walking rightly and living correctly and, and we're pure and righteous in our motives and, and that we're, we're living the, the life that God intended for us to live. And he said, until I come, he says, devote yourself to public reading of the scriptures and to the exhortation and teaching. This word here, public reading of the scriptures, is really one word in the original language. And the context seems to suggest, as, he's, as the Holy Spirit has inspired the Apostle Paul to write to young Timothy, he, it seems to suggest that, that he is saying to Timothy, I want you to be accountable and personally responsible for you personally being in the Word so that you can then publicly proclaim the Word. 
You see, you can't proclaim the word unless you've been in the word. That's a fact. Well, <laughs> did you know that there's a, 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 an internet site called sermonsearch.com? sermonsearch.com. Write it down. Check it out. You can buy other people's sermons on the internet. And I know of men that have, have, have lost their churches because for Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, they have preached other men's sermons. They've done that. And their membership finds out about it. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you can find anybody that, 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 that has preached my sermons before, uh, I'll give you $100. They're not worthy of publication, okay? No one would preach these sermons except me. They're that bad. So I can't sell them. But I have friends who do. And, and what I call those people, I call them echoes. They're not real voices. You cannot be a real voice if you're echoing someone else's spiritual thoughts. There are a lot of life group teachers like that. And some of you don't like the new curriculum because the old curriculum gave you stuff that the pupils didn't have so you could appear smart. Having one commentary to give you that kind of information that no one else has had so you can look smart, I, I want to encourage you to get multiple commentaries and learn how to be a student of the Word. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Be connected to the Word so you personally are delving into the Word in your own personal life. You're, you're, you're digesting those thoughts for yourself. There are many today who want to be spoon-fed in their walk with Christ in regard to their, their desire to be fed the Word. Somebody the other day was talking about changing churches. They don't come to this church, and they were saying that they were looking for a church where they would be fed spiritually. And it was real tempting. So, said, well, come on to our church. I preached about 55 minutes. We'll feed you all you want. It's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> and then I said to them, you know, it's not really your pastor's responsibility to feed you on Sunday. It's your responsibility to feed yourself spiritually by digesting the word yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you're a believer today and you're not in the word on a consistent daily basis, opening the word and digesting itself so that it exhorts you and that it teaches you, then, then you're going to be ineffective as a disciple, as a minister, because all of us in here are ministers. And he says that the scriptures will exhort and they will teach. You know, there are times when, the, when I open the Bible and the Bible convicts me. There are times that, that the Bible, when I open it and I read it, as I apply it to my life, it directs me. There are times it transforms me. There are times that it counsels me. There are times that it encourages me. There are times that it affirms what I'm doing. And God just miraculously, mysteriously connects his word in my life. And as I studied, he's saying to the Apostle Paul, it's important that as you study it, you understand the systematic approach of all of the Bible. That's where the word teaching means. It's not just for exhortation as I apply it and it encourages me to live the life and to walk the walk and, and to follow Jesus, but it's also for teaching. And there's, there's an aspect here, this word teaching is, is a very unusual word. It means systematic theology. It's a seminary term or maybe in a Bible college. The Bible is systematic in that the Old Testament and the New Testament all of the principles in both Testaments merge together in a systematic doctrinal concept that, that is as tight as it can possibly be. 
And that's the beauty of the Word of God. He's taken all of these men in the Old Testament and all these men in the New Testament and through his spirit he's inspired these men to write these incredible truths and they come together and they knitly make a systematic doctrinal foundation by which when I study it makes my faith solid as a rock. It makes the gospel that I preach powerful. It anchors me, it strengthens me, it encourages me, and it helps me assert myself with confidence, not only in him, but in his word, that what I believe is what he said, because it's true. We've got to connect to the word. Thirdly, fourthly, we need to commit to the work. You see, committing to the work is not only committing to the work itself, but committing to the work through the power of the Spirit. Committing to the work by itself is not going to make it happen. We must commit to the work and the power of the Spirit. So if you're writing down this outline, make sure that you add that last part. Being committed to my work in the power of the Spirit. Because he's encouraging Timothy here, do not neglect the gift you have which is given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. It's interesting here that he's commanding Timothy to commit faithfully to the work that God has assigned to him. He was called by God early on when he was with Paul, and and he committed to that call. And through that commitment, he was then commissioned by the elders as they laid hands on him, and they blessed the calling and the commissioning that the Father had on his life. And then he says, As I remind you of that calling and that faithfulness, he's saying to young Timothy, what you have forgotten to do, young Timothy, is the reason why you're being intimidated is because you are not operating in the power of the Spirit. You're not operating in the power of the Spirit. You have forgotten to tap into the gift that God has given. You have neglected that. You're operating in your ministry. You're operating in your spiritual life. You're trying to accomplish these things for God in and of yourself, independent of the power resources that that I endowed to you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we as believers have been granted, we have been endowed like Timothy with the Holy Spirit. The moment we placed our faith and trust in Christ, he planted within us his eternal presence through the person of the Holy Spirit. That is synonymous with our conversion. The moment you prayed that prayer and Christ cleansed you of your sin, that cleansing can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit then of God, the presence of Jesus was placed and planted in your heart for all eternity. You cannot lose him. He is permanently there. And and young Timothy was forgetting to tap into that endowed power of the Spirit of God to enable him to rise above the intimidation, to rise above the conflict, to rise above the walls and the the obstructions in his path so that, that he could challenge them in the power of the Spirit and they would come down. He was doing it pretty much in the flesh. And that's why he was being intimidated by outside forces that were not allowing him to be assertive and so that God could have the impact and the influence in his life that God wanted him to have. There will be obstacles. There will be barriers. There will be challenges. They'll even be giants in your life. And the only way they can come down, only way they can come down is through the Spirit. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Through the gift that dwells in you. And notice he then says, be courageous. 
be courageous. Not only be committed to the work and the power of the Spirit, but as you're confronting the enemy, be courageous in spiritual warfare. To be courageous in, spiritual, in the spiritual battle that God has, has entrusted to you. And we all know about the spiritual battle in Ephesians. But here he, he sort of admonishes young Timothy. He said, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. The, the key to interpretation and understanding what Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, is saying to young Timothy is in the final word, the word progress. The word progress is an unusual, it's a very interesting word. It, it is a word that basically means uh, someone who is, is pretty much like a pioneer, who is, who is traveling through uncharted territory. It's like someone who's in a jungle, and they're making their way through this jungle, and they're chopping their way through to explore and to conquer and to possess and to experience uncharted territory. Removing the barriers. And, and it also is a, is a military word, and the military word speaks of an advancing force that is tearing down the barriers the enemy has put in its path so that they cannot experience or possess the land or, or, or the, the blessing of God. Uh, Brother Gail yesterday morning shared with us the story of David and Goliath in, in Samuel's uh, record of that, and it was, it was a great message. He gets pretty fired up on Saturday mornings. And um, I, was, I can do multiple things while I listen to other people speak as well. And, and I was reading and listening to him. I, I saw something kind of jumped out. I may have seen it before, but I forgot that I saw it. As Goliath every day stood and taunted the people of God and stood as an obstacle in front, a barrier, a wall obstructing the people of God from, from possessing that very thing that God intended for them to possess. Every day taunting them, little David, little bitty guy, uh, not very strong physically, uh, was outgunned. He was outstrengthened. He, he was outsized by this giant named Goliath. And, and as David approached, he had his shield up, you know, and all that. And Goliath then noticed this little bitty a little bitty fellow down here, and, and he said, you know, you bring a stick to fight with me? What am I, a dog? You know, what is up with this? And, and it's interesting as they were having this dialogue, and you know the story very well, there's something that, that I, I saw. David charged Goliath. Now think about that. You've got a little bitty guy who's not, you know, very strong, who's outmanned and outgunned and outsized and outstrength and everything else, and he has the courage to charge Goliath. Why? Goliath is obstructing the very blessing that God has, not only for him, but for the people of God. What would enable him to do that? Well, I'm convinced it's because of the, the prophet who had visited him earlier, who had anointed him as the king. And David, as a young man, had the enablement and the endowment of the anointing of the Spirit of God, and he advanced the enemy unafraid, unashamed, and as he did with the weapons that God had given him, the enemy came down. I'm convinced that the enemy right now is probably robbing you of a blessing. There's a thought, there's an attitude, there's a characteristic, there's a sin, there's a person, there's something that's preventing you from Pressing forward. That's what he's saying to Timothy. I want you to 
practice these things, to immerse yourself, to press through the barriers, to overcome the obstacles, to bring down the walls. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. But move forward with, with the practice and immersing yourself in these doctrines, in, in the Word, in the power of the Spirit, and all that God has equipped him with, and all of those spiritual gifts. Move forward and watch God move. And as you do, Watch what God does. Look beyond yourself. Don't look at what you possess and what you bring to the battle. I mean, if David had done that, he would have never walked out there. What did God tell him to bring? Five smooth stones and a slingshot. And he took his staff. And he advanced the enemy using what God had provided, and the enemy fell. The barrier will fall as it did for David and as it was going to happen for Timothy as he courageously advanced for the cause of Christ. Lastly, notice the consistency in his watch. He's challenging him, live beyond yourself by being consistent in your watch. Notice he says lastly, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing you will save both yourself and the hearers. It's interesting he says, keep a close watch. He say, keep your eye on, stay on top of, pay close attention to what? Pay close attention, first of all, to yourself. Isn't it interesting how we like to put our, what does belong in everybody else's business? I didn't say business, I said business, right? We want to get all up in everybody else's business. And he's saying, Timothy, be careful while you're ministering, while you're serving, while you're leading, while you're helping others along the spiritual pilgrimage, that you, that you take the focus off of yourself because here's what he's challenging Timothy to do. Watch yourself. Examine yourself. Put yourself through the test of the Word of God. Let it convict. Let it transform. Let it change. Let it lead. Let it direct. Let it show you my plan. Make sure that you focus on yourself. You know, what I've found many times in ministry is this, that so many of us in, in I'm going to use the word with, with this, professional ministry, uh, you know, I don't like that word, but that we get so wrapped up in everybody else's, helping everybody else, that we forget to look at our own lives and examine our own lives. And, and that, I think, is the reason why many fall today is because they don't watch their own lives. He's saying, Timothy, I don't want you to be a casualty. Pay close attention to how you live. Examine regularly how you're living according to the Word of God and the Spirit of God in your life. And whatever you need to change and alter and do... And, and you better pay attention to that. But he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. It's interesting, again, he brings up the word teaching. I already said it was a systematic sort of approach where old and new and all the principles come together and they fit tightly like this. And he admonishes Timothy one more time. He says, persist, keep a close eye on your teaching. Why? Because he knew that young Timothy, as he asserted himself, there would be challenges to the truths that were found in the systematic approach to God's Word. We have a challenge today going on this week with the Boy Scouts. I think it's Thursday on the 24th they're going to vote. 
on whether or not to allow homosexuals into the Boy Scouts. Yeah. It's brought about, I think, because of one man who's on the board. His company has long stopped giving money to the Boy Scouts, yet he's on the board, and he's about probably to become president. It's the president, I think, of AT&T, isn't it? And, um, I mean, you've got the Boy Scouts that had a pretty tight ethical approach, a moral standard that was uncompromisingly unique to the Boy Scouts. We have in the church today the same challenge. Did you know that? We have the church today that has compromised in their stance on homosexuality. What God said in the Old Testament, what God said in the New Testament is not systematically correct. And he's, he's, he's challenging young Timothy to be careful, even way back in the early stage of the ch- church, don't compromise on one principle, on one, one standard that, that holds it tightly together, because if you don't watch your, 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 your doctrine, your theology, just one little slip will cause the whole thing to unravel. That's what he's saying. And I find it true today that when churches begin to compromise on the homosexuality concept, and there are many Christian churches that have embraced homosexuality as a part of their lifestyle that's acceptable to them, that one thing caused everything else to fall apart. Everything. Just one little fracture makes the whole thing crumble. And he's saying to Timothy, as he's saying to us, stay strong in spite of the pressure. Rise up. Be assertive. Don't compromise. Don't negotiate. Stay faithful to the systematic approach of the old and the new coming together as one. Because if you do, everything else will fall. We have people today who are in churches. We have churches today who are, who are having services like this. We have believers today who believe that homosexuality is not a sin. This Bible says that it is. And anytime we begin to renegotiate on that, we, we will see everything else fall apart. Sin, homosexuality is no bigger than a bigger sin than, than obesity, than drunkenness, than adultery, than fornication, which is sex uh, before marriage. I mean, there's all kinds of sins, and, and there's no sin greater than any other sin. But homosexuality is a sin. And the church is renegotiating, renavigating those things. And he's saying to them, he's saying to us, don't compromise. And I know churches today with pastors, friends of mine, and they have Boy Scouts in their church, and they don't know what they're going to do after this next week. We need to be consistent in our watch because we live in times just like Timothy where it, it's, going to be, it's not only tough today, it's going to get tougher. And it seems like every, I mean, when 3.5% of our culture, which they claim the adult culture is gay, if 3.5% of our homosexual culture can change a whole society, we're in trouble. And the church is, is, is renegotiating, and they're not keeping a persistent close watch on our doctrine. And we need to be careful. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Why? Notice the stakes. 
because by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If you will stay, keep a close watch on your teaching, persist in the things that I've said, by doing that, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's not talking about salvation because no man can save another man. He's not saying, Timothy, if you'll do this, you'll be able to save people. Timothy can't save anybody. Only God can do that. He's not suggesting to Timothy, Timothy, by by doing what I've suggested, you're going to help the saints persevere because only the Spirit through God can we persevere. Timothy can't do that for them. Only God can do that. But what he's saying is this. What we need to understand is salvation is is a process. You follow me? It's a process. It begins at conversion and it ends when either we die or Christ returns. And we are slowly progressing day by day into the likeness of Jesus. It's called sanctification. We have regeneration at at our spiritual birth when we place our faith and trust in Christ. We have glorification. That's when we are glorified. We are completely transformed in the likeness of Jesus on that beautiful resurrection day. And in the meantime, we have sanctification. And day by day, we are to be progressing Slowly, but methodically, strategically, into the likeness of Jesus. And he's saying, by doing what we're, he's suggesting here in our individual lives and the life of the church, we can steadily, progressively move more and more like Christ every day. That's what's at stake. Our transformation into the image and the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So be consistent in your watch. Don't let your guard down. Stay true to my word, that systematic teaching, and persist in living according to the strength of the Spirit as you are asserting yourself, fulfilling what I've commanded you and called you to fulfill so that I can have influence in your life. The reason why I think we, we want to have influence in the world is because that's what he's commanded us and called us to do. Not to be bystanders, not to just float along, but to be influencers, make an impact. Why? Not because we need it, because that's how he operates through people, and that's how he uses us to bless others. So, am I living beyond myself? It's not about me, it's not about you, it's all about him. Are we living beyond ourselves are we allowing ourselves whatever the cost to be used by the father as we sacrifice whatever cost he's asked so that he can use us for his glory and to influence others for Jesus are we living beyond ourselves are you living beyond yourself or to do so is to follow Christ let's pray Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Every Sunday morning, Emmanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 9.30 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship setting in a casual and relaxed atmosphere. Our second worship service begins at 10.50 a.m. in our worship center and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. 
Life groups for children and adults of all ages are provided at 9.30 a.m. and 10.50 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com.